So one of the questions that Jesus was asked his disciples to consider is, who do you say that I am and who do other people say that I am? And this question might seem strange at first, but um, today as we study God's word together, we're going to wrap up a mini series that we've been having talking about this, what has been called the most important question that's ever been asked in the history of the world. Who do you say that Jesus is? Now we all know that names matter, right? Names are important. Um, it's a, you, you value it when some Somebody get your name right, and uh, I'll, I'll share with you. When I was uh, the first pa- first wedding that I was going to officiate, and I've had the privilege of officiating many weddings after this, but the first one, the senior pastor that I worked with kept saying to me, "Sean, be very careful about getting the name of the bride right." Uh, she didn't even he didn't even mention the groom. I don't know why, but hey, get the bride's name right. He said it's really important. And, and as we got closer, he brought it up again and again, and so finally I asked him. So, so tell me the story. And he said the first wedding that he had ever officiated, he got the bride's name wrong, not just the first time, but every time that he used her name in the wedding. And she happened to be his sister-in-law. And so, and so uh, from then on, he's like, Sean, every holiday, every time we get together, they remind me of the fact that I screwed up her name, right? So, so I, um, in one of the weddings that I had the privilege of officiating. You can't make this up. So I am in the middle of the ceremony, like actually right at the beginning where historically you, you would read a person's full name. So like I, Sean, Derek, Brennan. Now, some of you just learned my middle name for the first time. It's Derek. So, uh, so you read their full name. So the, the bride's name, we had done premarital counseling and uh, I knew her well, got her first name right, but her middle name was R-A-C-H-E-L. And I said, Rachel. And in the middle of the service, with all her friends and family around, she said, it's Rochelle. All right. So, okay. Okay. Sorry. So, so this happened. You've heard comedians talk about, this happened to me, right? And so it gets better because, uh, you know, I got it right for the rest of the ceremony, my portion of it. And we got to the vows portion of the service. And I'm thinking, I don't want to mess this up. Don't mess this up. Oh yeah. They're reading their own vows. And so he pulls out his, you know, crinkled piece of paper with his wedding vows and he starts to say her name and he said it wrong too. And it gets, it gets even better because she, in the middle of the ceremony said, he got it wrong because you got it wrong. (laughs) Oh man. Hey, hey, names matter, right? And today when we talk about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to catch this this morning. We use the term Lord And this term is going to be so important for us today. We're going to talk about some ways that people approach Jesus that I think miss out on understanding truly who he is. They they misunderstand the claims of Christ and who he claimed to be. But I want you to catch this. Johnny and his skit, thank you, Johnny, for doing a great job with that, emphasized that Jesus is Lord. When Peter was asked this question, he emphasized that Jesus is Lord. That term, Jesus is Lord, is something that we, we kind of neglect when we understand what role he wants to play in our life. Now, now if you remember Star Trek, I said Star Trek in the last service and they crucified me. It was terrible. So, so that's probably a bad reference to say, crucified. They picked on me so much. And, and after this, so it's Star Trek. Trek. Did I get it right? No, Trek. Star Trek. Okay, Trekkies. Okay, we got you. All right, Trekkies. So, so in Star Trek, 
when, when Captain Kirk or Picard, or whoever is the captain, there's that captain's seat, right? And that captain's seat represents the ultimate authority on the ship. And I want you to picture with me for a second I, that the fact that, that when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our experience with him, we're going to see an encounter in scripture of the disciples' interact, interaction with Jesus, that the expectation that God has for you and I is not that we co-share the seat. Aren't you glad that your car doesn't have two steering wheels? Seriously, aren't you glad? So, so it has one captain's seat and the challenge for those of us who are familiar with Jesus, who have heard his teachings, have been exposed to things, and for some of us that we say, oh, I like, like Jesus, he's, he's a good guy, or he's got good teachings, I support Jesus, he's good, good. That, that's very different than understanding what Jesus has asked of us is for us to put him in the captain's seat of our life. And when we do this, this morning, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you, when you do that, he takes over and allows himself to be glorified in your life. That's what we're going to see. So this question, who do you say that I am? We know historically it came up in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 and 15. I already mentioned it. The disciples say, or Jesus says to the disciples, who do they say that I am? And then uh, Jesus says very specifically to Peter, he looks him in the eye and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am. I want to encourage you, if we could flip to the back of the book where the, all the answers are, the right answer to that question is found in the book of Philippians chapter 2 verse 9. Just soak this up. This is so good. It says this in Philippians chapter 2 verse 9. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him. This is a reference to Jesus. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and, and every tongue should confess. Do you guys remember what it says? That Jesus Christ is what? He's Lord. To the glory of God the Father. That's, that's the answer to the question that is is accurate. That's correct. And Peter um, declared something similar to that when the Lord asked him that question. And I think the question for each one of us that we must ask ourselves this question is, who's in the driver's seat of my life? Who's in the captain's chair? Who is responsible for um, allowing me to approach the challenges of life going forward? And I'll tell you that it begins with accurately identifying who Jesus really is. And I'll tell you, not everybody who saw Jesus, the first point this morning, not everyone recognizes Jesus, but I also would recognize that few people can ignore him. Uh, I, I've been saying this a lot. You notice that Jesus is just a swear word in our culture sometimes, right? That we declare his name and we do so without, well, you know, our calendars are set upon his life, that we recognize that he is someone who is impossible to ignore. And, and for some of us, we look at Jesus from different perspectives. I shared this last week and on Good Friday, but I want to just summarize. You, get, you guys like this, this version of Jesus? This is the Jesus is my homeboy, right? Um, this is Jesus as my action figure, my good luck charm, my divine vending machine. And I think for some people, they say the teachings of Jesus, I like most of them. I, I think they're good. I, I like to pick and choose which parts of them I like. I think he was a good man worth 
uh, worth following when he agrees with my way of life. The, the second approach to Jesus that's very common is he is a way, a truth, a lifestyle. And I think many people fall into that. I think we recognize this morning, especially as we reflect on what happened on the cross, that when Jesus was crucified for you and I, that ultimate punishment, the, the, the gift of his death, when he went through that, that was a result partially of people who wanted to silence him, that they felt like he was so, um, it was so dangerous to their way of life. He threatened their, their lifestyle in such a way that they wanted to end his life crucify him. That was their choice. And, and I would suggest this morning that those paths, all of those rep representations of Jesus fall far short of him being truly Lord. I love the way that C.S. Lewis and his wisdom communicates um, this powerful truth. It was actually a portion of a BBC radio program that he gave many years ago um, and was turned into a book that many of us know as Mere Christianity. Then in that book, this quote is one of my favorite quotes in the book. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must never say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level that a man who says he is a poached egg, isn't that great? So, okay, so if he says that he's God and he... Um, is not, he is not sane, or else he would be the devil of hell who must, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something even worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense. Boy, he's not missing word, mincing words here. Let's not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He never intended to. That, that quote reminds me of the simple fact that Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. He did not offer us a way, but he offered us the way. Well, what we know for sure, and this is encouraging to me, that even the disciples, the men who had spent the most time with Jesus over those three years, they had glimpses of who Jesus was, and they had their own struggles with obeying him and following him. Peter had denied the Lord, obviously, at the crucifixion. And so we, we recognized that there was this journey that they were on. And I'll just say comfortably that not everybody immediately recognizes Jesus. We understand that. But I also want to make sure that we all recognize that Jesus clearly shows us who he is. In fact, uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John 21. Uh, we're going to pick up in one of those uh, many resurrection, post-resurrection sightings of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he leaves us experiencing the living Savior in a powerful and personal way. In John 21, beginning in verse 1, it says this, after this, Jesus revealed himself. He showed those disciples that were following him, he showed himself to them again. 
to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, or that's the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. So this is the story of the way Jesus showed the disciples who he was again. Um, they needed to see this multiple times before they actually got it. Uh, later in scripture, we're told that those of us who've never physically seen Jesus in the way the disciples are, are blessed because of our obedience, having not seen it. But here, the disciples get another encounter with Jesus, one of many, like the encounter of the Marys with Jesus or, um, or Thomas. I love the story of Thomas who pokes Jesus because he wants to physically see what it feels like, the resurrected body, to believe that this truly was the Lord Jesus Christ, the men who encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus. There's many experiences that we have in scripture of people encountering Jesus. But in this one, I love this story. It says, and the disciples by the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias, they, he revealed himself to them in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now, now um, this is interesting to us because we know that, that his um, life, like his, um, he made a living, Peter did, as a professional fisherman before Jesus came to him. And you remember what Jesus said to him. He said, I want you to follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And so, so Peter, we know he knows boats. We, knows he know, we know he knows the Sea of Galilee. We assume he was successful enough at fishing to be able to uh, own a boat on the Sea of Galilee and probably had multiple boats. And um, so I can say this very confidently. He was a better fisherman than I am. Uh, I, I am not a very good fisherman. In fact, the biggest fish that I ever caught uh, last year around this time, I went to um, uh, the Florida Keys and a friend of ours chartered a fishing, to, fishing trip and I caught an amazing grouper. It was awesome. Um, some of you are judging me right now. You're like, yeah, right, Pastor Sean. Well, um, I don't have any proof to show it. And the reason why is that while I was reeling in this fish, as we got it to the side of a, the boat, a giant shark came up and ate most of the fish except for the head. Uh, so I can say confidently, I caught the head of a giant grouper. That's what I can say. Um, I am not patient enough to be a good fisherman. In fact, the experience of the disciples that evening, they, they, that would have driven me bonkers. I, I admit when we talk about life in general, that uh, one of the things that I wrestle with in life generally is just being patient. I, I wrestle with having enough patience with the challenges of life. And I think when we talk about God being our Lord, um, that one of the areas that I struggle with, like those who've obeyed the Lord with their life at times, is just allowing him to do things in his own timing, to, to be the captain of the chair. I, I, yesterday, can't pick this up, but yesterday, um, I, my microwave's not fast enough for me, to be honest. I, uh, I took a cup of coffee um, that I wanted to go warm up, and when I opened the door, I saw yesterday's cup of coffee, or two days ago's cup of coffee <laughs> sitting in. So, so somehow, between the time that I put it in and the two minutes that it took to actually warm up my coffee, it wasn't fast enough for me. I hate being behind 
the car in front of me when there's a green light and they don't go through the intersection. I assume for a second that maybe they're distracted or maybe they're dead. I don't know what's going on, but I, do, I am not a patient man. And, and the description of the disciples this night is that they showed some kind of patience. They were going back to doing what was familiar and in fact, it was infectious with them. So Peter says, uh, very bluntly, I am going fishing. And then the other disciples said, I'm sure that sounds good. We'll go with you. I don't, I don't know if this was rebellious. I just actually think if I can relate to this, maybe use my sanctified imagination. I just think that Peter was going back to what was familiar to him, that there was something familiar when he was in control, going back to being a fisherman. And so here, he um, crawls back into his boat. The disciples join him. They went out. They got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Now, we can't just ignore that sentence. These were professional fishermen, many of them. They were skilled. They knew the spots where you went. They knew the tactics that you would use. And there was an, a reality of empty nets for them. And I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you this morning as we study this passage that for some of us in our life, we have experienced empty nets moments in our life. We've been discouraged about the outcome of something. We haven't always had things go our way. We've wrestled with our boss that doesn't quite get, the, get it right, or we wrestle with the, the delayed answer to a prayer that we've prayed, and we get discouraged by the fact that it's not on our timeline. But I also want you to notice in the text that these men experienced something that felt supernatural almost, that there was a completely empty net. But what's great about it, this happened at night. Uh, the picture in the background there is of the Sea of Galilee, a sunrise that, that's there. And, and, and that this happens at night, but that the sunrise was coming over the horizon, that there were better days ahead. And I think for many of us, when we get discouraged or impatient or frustrated with God, we miss out on understanding that he's, he's one step away from blessing us. I, I see that often in couples who struggle in their marriage, that that there, there's a time in their life when maybe there's great things ahead for them, but this moment in time, they're discouraged. I see that with people who are wrestling with God's a lack of provision for them. Or they're, they're wrestling with, what, what is God doing? Have you forgotten me? Are you ignoring me? And I think for some reason, the example of men like Abraham, Moses, the Apostle Paul, others, that, that sometimes it's in these moments of empty net experiences that God actually is strengthening us to understand what it means to obey him for the next step in our life. I think it's important, second point this morning, is that Jesus clearly shows us who he is. He doesn't hide. Uh, he is not, uh, he is very blunt, was very clear about who he is and I think that it's helpful for us, we see this happen in this story, that these, these men who are seeing Jesus, this was about a football field away. He's on the shore, and the disciples are on this boat fishing. And Jesus says to them, so we know how sound can carry over a sea uh, or lake, water, body of water. So here, Jesus says to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, duh, no, you know, you can just kind of sense this, right? That they're like, what do you mean? No, no, no fish. And so, so here, this empty net, um, and kind of pour salt in that wound. But then Jesus says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat 
and you will find some. I think it's fascinating that they haven't quite identified who Jesus is, but Jesus is going to miraculously provide for them. I can almost see them grumbling. Yeah, sure, whatever. We'll just, we'll just cast it over here. So they cast it. They obeyed what he had said. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The text tells us later on that they had some 153 fish. The, um, what I love about this story is it literally says that the nets were at capacity, but they didn't break. God knew exactly what they could handle, what the boat could handle. And miraculously, Jesus provides for their needs. Brothers and sisters, God lacks nothing. You know that, right? That the God that we worship, there's nothing that he lacks. He, he doesn't um, stand back and say, how am I going to address this problem? Or what do I need in order to... So he's got access to the wealth of the world. It's his. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. He says, he literally, there's moments in history when Jesus plucks a coin out of a fish's mouth. And you look at this and you just say, who is this guy, right? Well, it's because he's God, right? He lacks nothing. So here, what we recognize is that while they did not immediately identify Jesus, what they experienced by doing what he asked, taking that step of obedience in this case, it ultimately led to them experiencing his blessing. Every person that was recorded in experiencing as a believer that experienced the Lord Jesus Christ after the resurrection went through a similar pattern. Uh, at first, it was uh, initially they're emotional, um, then they understand him accurately, and then it's often in that same area that they lacked before that he shows himself faithful. And, and here we get to see Peter in a special way. Um, I just I love love this this portion of, of Peter. He he just reacts to God. He again Peter's getting out of the boat again. It's pretty cool to see. Third point this morning is when you truly understand who Jesus is. It changes literally everything. Peter uh, understood who Jesus was um, through a friend. I love this, this portion of the story. In verse 7, it says, That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. This is a, a wonderful sentence. This disciple whom Jesus loved uh, at the, the, the citation of this passage of Scripture says that it was written by John. And we know that this is a way that John described himself. He described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you can understand that that's the way God feels about you. That's the way Christ feels about you individually, personally. The, the individual, the, the man, the woman that Jesus loves. Here, John calls himself or identifies himself in that way. And then he points to Peter. He does this wonderful thing. Showing other people who Jesus is is a beautiful thing. And here uh, he says to Peter, that's, that's our Lord. It's, it's Jesus. It's, it's the Lord. And then when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. Um, so he decided to get dressed before he jumped into the water. All right. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer, outer garment for, his, for he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea and then the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of that fish that you've just caught. By the way, that's the best way to eat fish, isn't it? And so it's fresh. Um, he's going to bring them up. They're going to have breakfast with Jesus, that Jesus is going to share this meal with them. 
So Simon Peter goes back onto the boat, dripping wet after he jumped out of the boat to be with Jesus. He helps haul the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. There's so much to love about this passage, but I want us to catch this on this Easter Sunday, that the Lord knows what we need perfectly. He understood how to reveal himself to those who had watched him be crucified in such a way that they were able to experience him as a giver of life. They were able to touch him and to experience the physical resurrection of his broken body. They were also able to celebrate the fact that we have a living Savior. This description of Jesus and his, him showing himself to them allowed them to truly acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And I think when we do that, we can abandon our inhibitions. We can abandon our old way of life. It was beautiful. After the second service, I had the privilege of playing, praying with someone um, after the service that was, just said, I'm ready. It's just time for me. I've heard about this in my life, but I'm ready to take this step of obedience to follow Christ with my life. And I think that there's something that is powerful when we really identify who Jesus is, that we can do nothing but respond to it. In verse 12, it says this, Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. So none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. They didn't have to ask the question, right? They recognized him. So, so a question that I have for you this morning is, do, do you know who Jesus is? is? Is Jesus for you someone who is a way? Is Jesus for you someone who offers a path? Is Jesus someone who has the potential of being a threat to your lifestyle? I believe that Jesus wants us to be able to articulate, like Peter did in Matthew 16, 15, that he says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father is who is in heaven. The entire book of John records stories of Jesus's encounters with his disciples and other people. And it tells us at the end of that book in John 20, verse 30, the purpose behind the book, it says this, it says that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But the reason these are written is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. Brothers and sisters, for those of us who are looking at our empty nets of our life and we're discouraged, frustrated, the timeline isn't going according to our plan, I want to remind you this morning that dawn is coming. That even in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the celebration of Easter, what we see is his victory over death. We also see his provision for his people in a tangible, specific way. And I just want to remind you that question that the Lord Jesus asked his disciples, who do they say that I am? We know lots of, there's lots of different answers about who people today in our society see Jesus as. But a more personal and more important question for every person, they don't care how old you are. Wasn't it awesome to hear these young testimonies of faith? That, that for every single individual person, the question, who do you say that he is. Is he just a good guy or is he your savior? Even more personally, is he the Lord of your life? Is he in the captain's chair? You can't share it with him. You understand? 
He asks to be the captain of our life. He asks to be Lord. And I'll just share with you in my own life, as we conclude this, I'll invite the worship team to come forward. Just share with you in my own life, in the times in my life when I have had to stand back and say, who is Jesus? Who, who is he to me? Who, who, who is it that I understand him to be? Every single time that I've stood back and I've just taken him at his word, I've trusted him. I've said, Lord, uh, I want to obey you with the calling that you've placed in my life. I want to obey you for the next right step. I want to obey you to be the leader of our family. Um, Lord, I want to trust you in that. Every single time he's provided for me abundantly in my life. I don't mean that he's my divine vending machine. What I mean is that he's proven himself faithful to address the most significant needs in my life. If that's not your story, this is a good day for that to be your story. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And I thank you and praise you for those, um, those nets that were filled overflowing and that they were so much more valuable than just the value of those fish. But in, in a way, they were worth leaving behind because there was just this reminder of the fact that you are faithful. I thank you that those men who experienced you in that way, the Lord Jesus, that, that they would go on to give their lives for the, the sake of the gospel, that there was a, a willingness after this kind of an encounter and after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ that they would be willing to die for their faith. I pray for each and every one of us that's here that, uh, that have stood back and have seen you from a distance. Maybe we've looked at you as an inheritance, something that is passed down from generation to generation. I pray for each one of us that we would get beyond that and we would allow ourselves to ask ourselves the question, who is it that I say that Jesus is? And I believe if we do that in the right way, the, the final conclusion, as C.S. Lewis challenged us in, is that you are either Lord or you're a liar. I pray for each one of us that we would understand that you're a promise-keeping God. Lord, we thank you that you are risen, risen indeed. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.